Breaking fake news from the Petty Prophet this morning as the Labor Department sounds the alarm, announcing that Hallmark movie season is leading to dangerous shortages of quirky friends and scruffy but handsome handymen. This from Washington, D.C. The Labor Department today released a disturbing report describing how the glut of demand for Hallmark Christmas movies is leading to frightening shortfalls in the labor market for the most commonly required movie archetypes. The report stated, in part, High demand for quirky friends, including subcategories overweight and gangly awkward, and scruffy but handsome wilderness guides, or dog trainers, or handymen, is leading to a labor shortfall that is likely to result in a hallmark movie shortage that could have devastating economic effects. The report went on to say that the shortage could result in skyrocketing costs to consumers for existing movies. One top Labor Department economist said, I don't want to cause a panic, but according to my calculations, by mid-December, the cost of viewing a Hallmark Christmas movie one time could go from free to $1.7 billion, give or take. Asked to comment on the situation, President of Quirky Friends Amalgamated Union Local 105, Hannah Stoback, expressed concern. OMG, that sounds serious, she said. But, like I always say, the key to solving most problems is lower standards. Are you going to finish those fries? We also attempted to reach the spokesman for Scruffy Workers International for a comment, but calls went unanswered, and we're afraid he might be ignoring us. Which stands to reason, because we just feel so bloated and gross lately. I mean, ugh, why would he want to talk to us, right? This is Joel Berry, and you are listening to the Petty Profit Podcast. Welcome. Okay, welcome to the Petty Profit Podcast, where we discuss society, politics, culture from a Christian worldview. My name is Joel Berry. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I just, uh, before we start, want to give a shout out to uh, Jason Anderson, a contributor to the Petty Profit. He's the one who wrote that uh, nice little piece of Hallmark satire there at the beginning. Uh, Jason Anderson's an awesome guy. He is an author. Um, a blogger, contributor to The Federalist, and he's written a few things, uh, both satire and op-ed for the site. Really good stuff, uh, so be sure to check him out. Uh, you can also follow him on, on Twitter, and I link to his blog um, in his articles as well as the show notes here of the podcast. So thanks, Jason, for that uh, that piece. And yeah, today um, I think will be a relatively quick one. I was inspired to do this podcast by a banana that was duct taped to a wall at an art gallery in Miami. I think it was Miami. And this got a lot of attention, not only because the exhibit itself was ridiculous, but also because the piece itself sold for $120,000 to a French art collector. And then after the piece was sold, some really funny things happened, which we'll get into on this podcast. But the gist of what I wanted to talk about on this show today was just the state of art and what has happened to art. You know, contemporary art is not the same as art we had 200, 250 years ago. I mean, that goes without saying. But it has gotten increasingly ridiculous, increasingly nihilistic. Case in point a banana duct taped to a wall selling for $120,000. And I kind of made this connection. You be the judge whether this is a fair connection or not, but I made this connection after last week's podcast where I talked about the 
eugenics movement, scientific racism, and how it all started with Darwinian worldview, social Darwinism. And the more I've studied about that time in history, the late 1800s, the more I realized just how the world, it was like a switch was flipped and the world changed so quickly after Darwin published his work. In 1859, 1859 is the year that uh, Darwin published his magnum opus, if you will, uh, on the origin of species, and the world, it changed overnight. It was like the world woke up from a dream, and suddenly the culture opened its eyes to a world devoid of meaning, devoid of objective morality and purpose. We were no longer tied to a grand narrative that was playing itself out, a narrative that began with the words, in the beginning, God. And to those people at that time, the future seemed bright. Man could now write his own meaning, defining himself and his world in whichever way he saw fit. We had been freed from the shackles of religion, of the clergy, and we were ready to evolve. We were ready to take humanity to the next step. But as we now know, that did not end well. Darwin's science inspired the self-directed evolution of eugenics that resulted in the Jim Crow laws, scientific racism, human zoos. We talked about that in our podcast last week. And eventually, with a Nazi holocaust and, and a burned-out husk where Europe used to be. And furthermore, atheistic culture and government gave rise to communism, which ended in a whimper with a crumbling Berlin Wall, but not before it had claimed almost 100 million lives. So in both those cases, the insanity of following atheism to its logical, nihilistic conclusions caused these movements to collapse under the weight of their own evil. But there's one place, (laughs) there's one place where the atheistic nihilism that followed in Darwin's wake is still alive and thriving, and that is the art world. And if it wasn't so sad, it would be hilarious. (laughs) But before we get to some of the silly examples, um, I want to go back. So Darwin's theory, it didn't just change science and politics, it changed art in a profound way. In the decade following the release of The Origin of Species, a new artistic movement began to take shape, and it was called Impressionism. The artistic Impressionists rebelled against all classical standards of beauty and ushered in an era of what was called aesthetic relativism. Kind of the idea that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. There was no longer any sense that art had to point to something, that there was some objective standard of truth and beauty, because in a way, Darwin had kind of blown all that away. In the eyes of many, affected by Darwin's teaching, the earth was all material. There was no transcendence anymore. And so, art stopped being about reflecting truth and beauty, and it devolved into the depressing, scatological, period-blood-obsessed horror show we see today. And, And why not, right? Why not? If life has no purpose... Why should our art be any different? So we've come a long way from 
Handel's Messiah, the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo's David. Today we're treated to orchestral concerts without melody, harmony, or timing. I remember in college, I I think it was for class credit, went to this uh, symphony orchestra concert that was a bizarre kind of modern art performance where all the musicians played just seemingly random notes. It was as if someone had taken just a bunch of notes and shaken them up and thrown them at the page. And it was bizarre. It was unsettling. It was unpleasant. It didn't sound good at all. I mean, I'm sure it took tremendous skill to play because the music itself makes no sense. And you have to be a very skillful musician to to play insane music like that. But there was something about it that seemed very wrong to me. I couldn't really place my finger on it at the time, but I was disturbed by it. In addition, you know, we have blank canvases or monochromatic paintings fe- featuring a single white line. They're imbued with meaning, quote-unquote meaning, by art collectors and galleries. They use pretentious language to make the untrained public think that there is something more going on besides people just throwing garbage on a gallery wall. (laughs) Sometimes they mix it up and throw garbage on the gallery floor. No, it's true. And Holland, in an art exhibit by someone named Line Stokes, Line Stokes, I can't I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but her art exhibit was accidentally cleared out and hauled to the landfill by janitors who mistook it for litter because it was litter. It was like a pile of broken umbrellas. (laughs) So now when you walk into really any prestigious modern art museum, you're likely to find gold-plated feces, empty cardboard boxes, bizarre performance art by convulsing spastic dancers. You know, and a lot of these works sell for a lot of money. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And how has this nonsensical art movement survived so long without producing anything of transcendent beauty or worth? Well, it's because I think there's been an alternate reality constructed around modern art. It's an entire infrastructure of collectors and galleries willing to maintain the illusion. And there are plenty of pretentious elites with deep pockets looking for a status symbol to hang in their mansions, or at least a means of laundering money or escaping taxes. I think some of that goes on, too. There must be something perversely gratifying about declaring a pile of garbage to be valuable just because you have the power to declare it so. In this world of elite pseudo-intellectualism and money, they have the luxury of pretending to be their own gods. They make and define their own reality and their own standards for beauty. Perhaps it's no surprise that these are the same people who embrace and propagate artificial social constructs like race while deconstructing and redefining biological realities like gender. Their religion is that they get to define their own reality. In other words, they can be like the Most High. And so, recently, it all came full circle at the art Basel Art Basel Gallery in Miami. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Here, an artist named Maurizio Catalan, whose previous masterpiece was an 18 karat gold functional toilet entitled America. Well, he unveiled his latest creation. What's his latest creation? 
It's a banana, duct taped to a wall. Not a, not a banana sculpture, not a bronze or a golden banana. It's, in a, it's a banana from the supermarket, taped to the wall with silver duct tape. It's sold to a French art collector for $120,000. Now here's where it gets interesting. Shortly after it was sold, a performance artist, at least that's what he called himself, I don't know if he really is a performance artist, but he, his name was David Detuna, walked into the gallery, ripped off the banana, from the wall and ate it (laughs) and he entitled his performance art hungry artist (laughs) so hilariously the gallery owner accepted this performance art as legitimate and simply elected to replace the banana with another one but the spectacle was not over because another artist named rob weber came in took a handful of lipstick and wrote Epstein didn't kill himself in lipstick on the blank wall where the banana had been. (laughs) Unfortunately, his performance art was not as well received by the gallery owner as the other guys was. His piece was covered in a drape. Weber was escorted off the premises by armed security and now the gallery Art Bassell is now pressing charges against him. <laughs> so the question is, who decides what is art and what is not art in a world where there are literally no standards? Just as is the case in tyrannies or murderous eugenics movements, it's the people with power who get to decide. It's the gallery owner, the armed security, the governmental ruler, In a godless universe, morality is determined by power. That's why progressives are obsessed with it, and they will not stop pursuing it until they manage to bring their art world insanity into the real world. And we're already seeing a taste of it with their treatment of gender. If Darwin could see the folly that logically followed from his theory back in the 20th century, I think he may have run back into his local Anglican church in tearful repentance. (laughs) I have to admit it, though, there's something kind of poetic about a highly evolved chimpanzee taping a banana to a wall. That's my little rant on modern art. Thank you for listening. Before I let you go, I'm going to give you something that I am thankful for. And I am thankful for teachers. My goodness, I have come to appreciate teachers more and more the older my kids get, I mean, they don't just take my kids every day. They take one or two dozen other kids at the same time. And I think that's, I think it's incredible <laughs> that teachers do that and do it with such grace and love for the kids. Um, at least that's my experience with my boy's teacher. My, my twin boys are in first grade and uh, they have some difficulties just like learning behavioral uh related difficulties and their teacher has just been uh, such a help to us and to them. I know it's a a tough job and uh, teachers are just really, really special people. So yep, that's it. I just wanted to uh, throw that out there. Um, If you're a teacher, thank you. If you know a teacher, thank them. Teachers are awesome. Um, God bless you guys. 
keep up the good work. And that includes uh, you homeschooling moms out there too. I know you guys are doing the Lord's work too. So God bless you in that work as well. Um, And that's it. That's the show. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out the website, www.thepettyprofit.com. There you can find more material, articles, op-ed. There is a contact form you can use to reach out to me. You can ask questions. You can uh, give me suggestions for articles or for things you might like to hear talked about on the next podcast. And as always, leaving a good review, five-star review, and sharing on iTunes is extremely helpful. So thank you for your continued support. Thank you for listening to and enjoying the podcast. Love you all, and I will talk to you here on the next Man Hug later this week. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.